Um, just before I get into the message this morning, I want to pray. So if you close your eyes and just receive the words of Jesus and we'll um, give ourselves to him who wants to take our burdens. These are the words of Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, many of us come in this morning, maybe a smile on our face, but burdens in our hearts, things that feel too much to carry. And so we come to you this morning, each individual heart and soul come to you this morning for your help, for your rest, for your light yoke and easy burden. Jesus, this day would you teach us the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. We trust you. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning again. We're in a final uh, message in the series on healing. Um, talking today about uh, spiritual healing with related to the demonic. So if you've missed uh, other parts of the series, we talked about biblical foundations for the healing ministry of the church given to us by Jesus, about inner healing, about physical healing, and this morning we talk about the spiritual realm and how we deal with that. Next Sunday, just so you can be prepared, we're starting probably one of the longer series we've ever done. We're starting next week in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll spend three months in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus' greatest teaching. So that will actually take us all the way through Advent. So you can get ahead if you're a serious achiever. You want to get ahead, you can read Matthew 5 to 7, 67,000 times between now and Christmas. Um, honestly, if it was up to me, I wouldn't want to talk uh, a whole morning on demons because I don't think they should get that much credit. But the reality is Jesus made dealing with the demonic a part of the mission of the church because he does it, did it, and gave it to us. It's a part of our ministry to deal with the spiritual realm, not just the happy, holy spiritual realm, but the unholy and the, the sometimes uh, scary uh, unholy realm, spiritual realm. Deliverance from Satan's power and demonic influence in our lives is a foundational reason for the coming of Christ. So 1 John 3.8 says that uh, the reason that the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. So a foundational reason for the coming of Jesus was the destruction of the devil's work. His, the, the, the power of sin in our lives, the judgment for sin, the penalty for sin in our lives, but also the demonic realm and the way that these fallen angels have impact on us. Jesus wanted to rectify that, and he gave us authority to do so, and so we want to talk about that this morning as the followers of Jesus. I'll let you know that a lot of, uh, at least my outline in thinking this morning, comes from a book by Randy Clark, a former vineyard pastor, but a friend of the vineyard. It's called The Biblical Guidebook to Deliverance. So if you're interested in sort of the scriptural background of all this, and he goes deeper into a lot of it, um, the, the biblical 
Guidebook to Deliverance by Randy Clark. Also in that book, he's got a lot of other resources that would be helpful if this is something that's interesting to you, whether you feel like you have to deal with it or you need to want to deal with it. Um, as the followers of Jesus, we continue the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we follow the command that he gave to his disciples. Matthew 10, 7 to 8. We've, uh, I think, read this scripture every Sunday in this series on healing. This is the commission of Jesus. He said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. It's a part of our mission to deal with the demonic in our lives and the lives of people around us. Um, always like to smash in a C.S. Lewis quote at the beginning of a message just to make it sort of justified as, you know, holy and evangelical. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this issue of the demonic. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, about the demonic. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. A little farther down, you know, in the context of that quote, um, C.S. Lewis would say, and in terms of the devil, he doesn't really care which way you go. The enemy doesn't really care. Do you pretend like he's not there at all? He's got free access to you. Or do you focus on him because he gets what he's always wanted, all the attention? And so we, as usual, as believers in the kingdom, have to hold this tension. We have to stand in this tense middle and get comfortable with that, this awareness and a level of understanding of the unholy spiritual realm while maintaining our focus on the holy spiritual realm, the kingdom of God that's breaking in and breaking into our lives and through our lives into the world, the rule and the reign of Jesus. Um, That's our focus. So a couple of principles, and I will remind you, I've got a lot of notes this morning. All these notes are on the website, and uh, they'll be the audio of this, as well as notes and questions for discussion. But a couple of principles I wanted to start with uh, right off the bat. Number one, we do not need to fear Satan, the devil, the adversary, the enemy of our soul, whatever you want to call him. We do not need to fear the enemy. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. There is no reason to fear the enemy, the devil. He has power, but not power over us unless we give it to him. So no reason to fear the enemy. Jesus tells us to walk both in innocence, basically don't mess with evil and the devil, and also with wisdom to have a sense of what's happening so that we can walk in a circumspect way. I have no idea how you say circumspect in sign language, but I can't wait to see it. Wisdom. So that's number one. We don't fear the devil. We don't need to be afraid of this topic. We don't need to be afraid of him or his power. And we must not, number two, we must not focus on the demonic. This is a big temptation. When people come into sort of a a, a new encounter with the Holy Spirit and they start to see spiritual activity, sometimes the temptation from the enemy is to focus on the demonic. And all of a sudden, we're finding demons everywhere. My toast burned. Demon. Or whatever, right? 
And we don't want to focus on the demonic. We don't want to go out looking for the demonic. Paul says it this way. One of my favorite scriptures, and it helps me in a lot of theological issues, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. He's speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. In other words, you as the church, I'm giving to a husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds might be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. If ever we get so focused on spiritual power, spiritual realms, things that are happening out here and lose our focus, our simple devotion to Jesus, we have done the enemy's bidding. When we start getting more excited about demons listening to us and less excited about our name being written in the book of life, we've lost our focus on the giver of life. So we don't focus on the demonic. Faithful, simple focus on Jesus replaces fear and loving, trusting devotion to Jesus releases freedom. Third, as we focus on Jesus and faith replaces fear, faith also releases freedom. So hear this this morning. We're made for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. If you're walking in bondage in some aspect of your life and you sense the the, the enemy's control or his power, his influence, it, it is not a part of your calling. It is not God's will for your life that the enemy has power in your life. John 8, Jesus says, and you shall know the truth. By that, he's speaking of himself, right? The way, the truth, and the life. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I don't think Jesus anywhere in the text says kind of free, sort of free, somewhat free, kind of free-ish. No, he says, you shall know the truth, me, Jesus, and I will set you free. So don't settle for anything less than the freedom bought by and promised to you by Jesus. And I've said that a lot in the last couple of months. We are just in a time where I think God's stirring us to go after more in our spiritual lives. And so I just feel like um, the enemy would love to see us settle and kind of cruise through this season of our spiritual lives, maybe individually, maybe as a church. Maybe this is a word to you in your work or in your relationships. And I just think, hard to say this, but I think if Jesus walked up, he would concur and say, don't settle. I have so much more. I have so much more more for you, more love than you've ever experienced, more power in your lives than you've ever experienced, more freedom than you've ever known, more relational unity than you've ever known. Even in a time when unity seems to be a thing of the past out there in the world, Jesus says there's more. So I say, let's not settle. Romans 8, Paul says that the creation is waiting eagerly for the day when God will reveal who we really are that is us, the children of God, and that the creation, the world out there, is looking for, looking forward to the glorious freedom of the children of God. It's like the world wants to know the kind of freedom that we have, the freedom that we have access to, 
The freedom that we get to walk in, not in presumption, but in faith. There's more for us because Jesus has done the great work. Just a couple of uh, basics. Um, Much of the Western world, certainly America, even Christians maybe, tend to live in a two-tiered universe. They might say, you know, philosophically, well, there's a spiritual realm up here, which we can't get to, and then there's this empirical realm down here where we live, where we feel and sense, we got data, we've got science, and that there are just these two tiers. But sometimes we exclude the middle tier, and a biblical worldview includes the middle tier. Yes, there's a, there's a, a, a transcendent realm, heaven, hell, other times and places that we can't get to at this point. And there's this physical realm that seems so, you know, solid and tangible. But there is that place in the middle where the supernatural and the physical realm connect. And we live in that. So we're we're not mystics that live only in this realm, and we're not uh, secularists who live only in this realm. We're spiritual beings with real bodies, but real souls and real spirits. And we live in the place where the spiritual realm and the physical realm connect. And it's so important that we get rid of any sort of philosophical worldview that, that excludes that third tier in the middle because we ignore it to our peril. So in this realm, in this realm where we live, there are fallen angels, spiritual beings who rejected God's authority, who are real spiritual entities with influence and power and access and involvement in our world, the world that we inhabit too as spiritual beings. It's interesting, the, the, you know, we, when you start thinking about demons and demonic possession or oppression, we have all sorts of categories. We think, well, someone might be fully possessed by a demon. They don't know what they're doing, can't control themselves. Maybe just harassed by a demon. You walk into a place, you say, this has a weird spiritual vibe, you know. Um, we've got all these categories. The, the Bible doesn't give us words for those categories. When you read about a demon influencing a person in the New Testament, there's one Greek word, demonizomai, to be demonized. In other words, whatever, when a demon is having some impact on a person, it's just that one word. So that's why I will use the word, and Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement, preferred the word demonized to talk about someone dealing with the demonic. Not possession, oppression, harassment, but you know what? The bad guy's messing with you. That's the way I think of it. The bad guy's messing with you. And whether that's in, on, around, up on top, below, it doesn't matter. We don't want it. We don't want the bad guy messing with us. There's no biblical reason. You're allowed to challenge me after the service, preferably. There's no biblical reason to believe that a believer with the Holy Spirit in them cannot be demonized, cannot be oppressed, harassed, whatever, by a demon. In fact, the early church, the first four centuries of the church, they did the exorcism part of baptism after the person professed faith and got baptized. They didn't do it before, like get the demons out so you can believe. No, they said, believe, repent, then we'll kick the demons out. 
That's how they did it in the first four centuries of the church. I don't know why we failed on that part. There's also absolutely no reason in the scriptures to believe that a believer could be fully possessed by a demon. So um, if, if someone belongs to Jesus, they belong to Jesus. Now, the, the demonic can have influence there. We can give access to the devil in areas of our life, but to be fully owned by, possessed by the enemy when we've been bought by the Son and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light, now can't happen. So I'm giving you challenges there. Don't dismiss demonic stuff just because you're a believer, but don't ever believe or fear that somehow you or someone you, who you love is in Christ will somehow be taken over by the enemy. To live in this three-tiered reality, we've been given some instruction by Jesus and uh, the writers of the New Testament, some tools, and praise God, some authority in this realm. So I'm going to read um, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. I'm going to read through it. I'm going to read through it uh, slowly. If you want to, you can close your eyes and just, just listen. I think this is the most powerful scriptural tool that we have for our own um, defense against the enemy in our lives. So just hear the word of God from Ephesians chapter 6. If it helps you to read this, you're welcome to also. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on that peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Amen. There is so much there. And yes, there's a lot to, to, to take from that, but it's also clear and simple. If you were to take some time in your own life just to study what it might mean to put on the belt of truth, the gospel of peace, the, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, the Holy Spirit in you can help you to understand what a holy life looks like to keep you from the enemy. So I commend to you Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Just read it once a day for the rest of your life and you'll be fine. Our greatest defense against demonic influence in our lives is this gift of God's armor and protection. 
It is the greatest gift given to us. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer in the spirit. I find it interesting that in Ephesians 6 there, he starts with the belt of truth and ends with the word of God. So it seems to me that what he's saying is, you know, the, 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 um, the tying points of this armor have to do with truth, the truth that is in Jesus and the truth that is in his word. And so to stick close to the word, the living word, Jesus, and in the word of God is our most powerful um, tool. You know, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, it's the scripture that he, that he, that he puts back on the enemy. Not, not just like the words will take him down, but he'd, he'd taken in the truth of the scripture and he was living it out because the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. He knows the power of his own word. But truth in and of itself is important for us to understand. And so understanding who you are in Christ is crucial. And it's why it's a part of the vision of this church in the next couple of years to focus on every person knowing who they are in Christ as well as what they have to give to God and to others. When we know who we are in Jesus... The, the, the lies of the enemy don't have as much power in us. And so I'll commend, I won't read it all here, but in the book that I mentioned from Randy Clark and, and on the web, you'll see a, a statement, identity statement, all coming from Scripture, something I just can't uh, encourage you enough to rehearse, to memorize. What is true about you because you are in Christ? What authority has he given you in your lives? What power does he want to release in and through you? What love, what love has he settled on you? You, as his beloved in Christ. And to take the time to read those on a daily, a weekly basis, to rehearse those, to remind those you love, don't forget who you are. You're a a co-heir with Christ. You're seated in heavenly places. You have authority in the Spirit to to demolish strongholds. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. Those are just scriptural truths that are true about every single person in this room and online who knows that Jesus lives in them. That's a gift to us. So how is it that Satan gets access to our lives? Here's the way I understand it. I could be wrong, but the way I understand it is he he can't demand access. If we belong to Jesus, we belong to Jesus. But we can give him access or we can agree with a place that he's found a foothold in our lives. So the enemy only has power in our lives that we give to him or in some way that we agree with a lie that's been uh, delivered to us. Genesis 4, God talks about sin and describes it as crouching at the door, sort of waiting, and God says to to the one he loves, but you must master it. Don't let sin crouching at the door come in. Don't give it an open door. And James 1 says that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then it's that evil desire, not desire, evil desire 
that gives birth to sin. So temptation is not sin, right? Because Jesus was tempted in all ways like us, but without sin. So to be tempted is not sin. And desire is not sin. If there was no desire, there would be no humanity. There would be no procreation. We would not eat. We would not drink. We would not create without desire. So desire in itself is not unholy. It's disordered desire that gets us in a peck of trouble, right? It's those attachments and desires that come after us and we agree with. Those are the ones that mess us up. If I agree with the temptation, this cupcake will fill the inner void in my life or choose your favorite food, whatever that might be. If we agree with that uh, temptation, then our disordered desire does become sin, where we say this cupcake is more important than this temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. I'm playing a little bit, but you get the idea. And so Paul warns regarding anger, which is not a sin, but can breed sin. In Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a a foothold. In other words, don't give the enemy a place. Now, if any of you are married or have been married or maybe have experienced any human relationship, you might know what it's like to have conflict late at night and feel angry. And then it's someone's brilliant idea to say, Let's talk about this tomorrow. Sometimes you got to do that. I get it. But what happens between now, angry, and tomorrow? Bitterness bubbles up and breeds. You get farther away from what actually happened. Not that either of you could possibly know that in my humble experience of 35 years being married. You get farther away from what actually happened, and you know what else you do? You give the enemy a chance to attach that bitterness, that anger, that whatever, to the last fight, or the one before, or the one 50 years before, right? And so the enemy says, hey, deal with this anger. Otherwise, it could turn into sin. It's not sin. If you can express it, communicate honestly, forgive one another, say you're sorry, etc. we're not going to breed sin. But you let that thing brew for a while, And in the morning, you'll find, oh, I've got some nasty attitudes that I've woken up with. And so he says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a place to stand. Sin also comes into our lives, and I say sin because following sin is the enemy. So a way the enemy, Satan, has access to our lives um, are through at least four other areas. And here I'm referring to our Sozo ministry, which is a very powerful ministry in our church and in our region, dealing with um, how do we deal with issues in our lives that are unholy or uncontrollable. And in Sozo ministry, they'll talk about four categories, four ways or places that the enemy can get into our lives. Fear, hatred, uh, sexual sin or sexual impurity, or the occult. And so underneath fear might be worry, unbelief, the need to control, anxiety, isolation, apathy. Don't write all these down. They're in the notes. (laughs) Drugs, alcohol dependency, trauma, shock. Under hatred might be bitterness, envy, gossip, slander, anger, 
Self-hatred, shame, isn't this fun? I got to tell the truth so we can know, you know, how the enemy comes into us. Sexual sin, under that c- category, adultery, pornography, sexual activity outside of marriage, lewdness, molestation, rape, abuse, and the shame that comes with those. Occult activity, astrology, fortune car- fortunes, tarot cards, seances, Ouija boards, manipulation, participation in Wicca or witchcraft, curses, some secret societies and the occult practices that they can be a part of. Now, I give you that list not so that you can go home all scared, like what have I done and what demons do I have, but so you can be aware, oh, there's something happening in my life that's ungodly. There's a power that I don't understand. Have I given a place to the enemy in my life? And if you hear those or read through those notes and recognize, wow, you know, it might have been just playing around, but I messed with some of that. You have the opportunity to repent of that sin, to break the power that the enemy might have in your life because of those things, to receive forgiveness and to walk in freedom from some of those areas in your life. It is amazing what acknowledging your past sin on purpose, done by you or against you, or maybe you didn't even know about, can have in the freedom of your life in Jesus. There are some basic elements, and I'm not going to go through every one of them, but just so you know, when we talk about deliverance, there are some basic elements of deliverance, whether you're in your own prayer time with God, you're praying with someone, you're up front on a Sunday in a ministry team, whatever. Um, The importance of repentance and forgiveness, I just can't stress enough. The importance of owning your sin or the sin that was committed against you, of owning it, recognizing it, acknowledging it, and turning from it, repenting, turning from sin or the pain that came from it to Jesus, the one who heals all sin and disease. So the importance of forgiveness and repentance, I can't overemphasize. Um, maybe half of the people that I pray for in any given week or month, a, a deeply rooted issue in their life, when we get down to the bottom of it, it's unforgiveness. I'm, I'm just making up the number, but an awful lot of it. Unforgiveness against a parent, a, a, a relative, someone who hurt them, or even holding it against themselves, or unforgiveness towards God. Anyone ever been mad at God? You don't have to put your hand up. You all have. So repentance and forgiveness. The uh, the importance of renouncing sin and breaking soul ties. If we've been connected sexually with a partner that is not our spouse, there's a a spiritual tie that happens. If we've made a vow sometime in our lives, I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm going to worship a God that isn't Jesus, but a vow, I will never. That's really a vow of control, which empowers the demonic in our lives. And those vows where we have said, I'm going to control my life rather than surrendering to Jesus, those have power to hold you. But God's given you power and authority by the Holy Spirit to break those vows and to walk in freedom. Casting out spirits, we have that authority. And now I don't mean to like make light of this, but casting out a spirit is really not the biggest part of all of this. If someone has, we'll just say for my own life, if I have 
acknowledged a sin, repented of it, broken any ties or vows, and taken back the authority in my life that Jesus gave me as a free being to worship God and God alone, there's nothing left for the demonic to feed on. There's nothing left for the, you know, for the demons to eat. They shrivel up. So to say to a demon of lust or pornography or whatever to go after a person has confessed and renounced all that stuff, it's, it's not that hard. They got nothing to do. They have no more legal access. So important to follow a, an encounter like that when a spirit goes with the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we can trust that the Holy Spirit comes in at a point like that and gives us power and uh, over temptation and will gladly inhabit and fill that place that was inhabited by some other lie or some other spirit. Community and discipleship. We can't do this alone. We can't live in freedom alone. We can't see what's coming against us by ourselves. We need people who love us enough to say, I've noticed a pattern in your life. I'm not saying you're the devil. I'm just saying I think he's messing with you. And I love you too much to let that keep going. Let's, let's pray about that. Community and discipleship. We can't do it alone. We must not do it alone. We have to be rooted and grounded in the love of God and rooted and grounded in community. And there is, hear this seriously, there is no substitute for discipleship, being discipled in the love of God and being rooted in the community of God. There is no substitute. We have to depend on one another. It's why Jesus fills the church. And finally, there's a living free aspect of it. Just like if you've had a physical injury and uh, some treatment and some recovery, there are things to do to help recovery, and then there are things not to do. Same way with spiritual cleansing or healing. If you have confessed a sin and you have broken the power of the enemy in a place in your life, there are things to do. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember who you are in Christ. Take every thought captive and, uh, and others. And there are things not to do. Don't go back to your place of temptation. Don't think it'll be fine. Oh, I can handle it. You probably can't and it probably won't. You've got to be honest about what you're able to do. So there's some wisdom um, as a part of this. And so Peter tells the believers in Rome, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he says, resist him standing firm in the faith. Loving, faithful, confident walking with God is a key to walking free from demonic control. We build our walk with Jesus day by day, rooted in the word, in his love, and in the community of the people he's called. And we do have authority and power over the enemy. We don't have to fear him. We certainly must not focus on him. But focusing on Jesus with faith, confidence in his love, it releases freedom in our lives. And we're made for it. Let's stand. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward, anyone on the ministry team to come, and um, if a couple of those ministry people uh, could wear masks so that everyone would feel comfortable, master on to come up, that would be great. 
Just before I pray, since you've stood up and I've gotten your attention again, um, you do not have to be in whatever your issue might be alone. You don't have to. We have so many resources in this body of believers to help you as you walk out lives of freedom. Sozo, I mentioned it before, sozo at indievineyard.org. S-O-Z-O, sozo at indievineyard.org. If you've got any sense of there's the demonic that's playing in my life or I need to repent of something, right? I don't know what to do with an area of my life. Amazing freedom in sozo sessions happen in this church every single week. So I commend that. Celebrate Recovery happens uh, Wednesday nights here at the church cr at indievineyard.org. If you've got a hurt, a hang-up, or a habit that are coming after you or uh, holding on to you, Celebrate Recovery, a safe and, and, um, and loving community of people are waiting to be with you. The men's retreat, I'm leading it, so I have to say great things. I'm teaching four lessons from uh, Psalm 51 I honestly think this men's retreat in two weeks is going to be a life-changing experience for us as a group of men in the vineyard. So sign up today. Um, This is not my normal thing to say about myself, but I think these messages and what happens in the weekend are going to be incredible because I feel the power of God on them. Um, Love After Marriage that uh, Sean so eloquently rapped about. Jane and I went through Love After Marriage last year. We will do it again because the tools are so powerful and the freedom so palpable out of Love After Marriage. So come to that October 19 um, info session at 6.30 or um, send uh, Beth and Clint Myers an email, all their infos on the website. Getting involved in a small group that launches next week or being a part of this ministry time that we do every Sunday. All ways to open yourself up to the loving, powerful work of the Holy Spirit if there's any unholy spirit at work in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Now as we've talked for for 30 minutes about some unholy things, we thank you, Holy God, that you are here. Holy Spirit, that you are present in our midst. And we ask now, do your work, Holy Spirit. Speak to minds, speak to hearts, give revelation. Invite us into freedom, to joy, to the filling of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you and you alone would speak, that we might hear and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like someone to pray for you this morning related to what we talked about this morning or any other issue, um, we would love to have you do that. It looks like there's one more word of encouragement. So if you give us some juice on this one, that'd be great. Um, Before Randy started speaking, I just felt the Holy Spirit and I'm going to read this because I can't remember. Um, I felt like um, the Lord was saying that there's a person or persons who've been sitting in church for a long time, and they've just been feeling hopeless. But today, something broke off of them, and they felt the heavens part, um, and freedom was found. So if that was, was anybody in here, I encourage you to come up and get prayer 
and, um, and just, you know, feel the Holy Spirit and really, really walk that out in, in the freedom that he's given you. Great. Thanks, Jane. One other encouragement. Um, Heather came to me earlier um, when we were praying, and she said um, that there might be people who have a fear of the demonic, and the encouragement from God is to, to the extent that you fear the demonic, um, you, you don't realize the power and authority you have over it. So if you need to just turn to someone or come forward today and um, repent of your fear of, this, of the spiritual realm, um, God wants to release authority and power in the spiritual realm to you. If you'd like prayer, please come forward. Otherwise, go in peace.